Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the seasons of each year, for the seasons of life. And we thank you for this season of Christmas that we just came through, where indeed we are reminded that you sent your Son uh, into this world, born of a virgin, into that little, little village of Bethlehem. What a miraculous entrance uh, into this earth and the one who made the earth and the one who made the animals and the livestock that would be in that manger and the one who made the stars was that little child. It's an amazing thing. We, we, we can hardly get our, our arms around it. But we are so thankful for the message of the gospel. We are so grateful that Jesus came and dwelt among us. Uh, he, he came and he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We are grateful that he lived a sinless life and that he was the Lamb of God and that he went to the cross as a substitute for every guy in this room. Never, ever, ever in eternity and in infinity could we pay for our sin because we are guilty. We, we, let alone your law, let alone the Ten Commandments, we know we don't live up to that. We can't even live up to our own code. The code that we carry in our hearts, every person in this town, every person in this state, even if they don't believe your word, they've got a moral code, yet we can't even obey our own moral code. We're guilty on our own basis. So we were lost and we were in trouble. And you sent Christ. And we are so grateful for what Jesus has done. We thank you that he has saved us from our sin by his death on the cross. He paid for our sin. And when he comes into our lives and saves us from our sin, he keeps on saving us every day. And he keeps on sustaining us. And he keeps on making a way. And there are times when we get stuck and we think that there is no way. We think, we think the deal we're in right now, we'll never get out of. We, we don't see any possible solution. But he's still the Savior. And we look to him. Now, for some of us, we had a great Christmas break. For others of us, it was a hard time. Not pleasant, not enjoyable. Quite frankly, it was uh, heartbreaking and depressing for some guys in here. Now, for those guys, I pray that you'll encourage their hearts. You'll let them know that you're with them. We're all coming from different places and different circumstances. Uh, we got guys in here from high school guys to guys that are 70, 80 years old. We're at different places along the trail of life, but what we have in common is that we desperately need you, and we desperately need to hear from you and to hear what you have to say to us as we live our lives. So tonight, once again, 
Once again, we don't do this because it's tradition or habit. We do it because we're desperate. We ask you to speak to us. You're aware of our needs. You know where we are. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we ask you humbly, Lord, to give us what we need. You are the shepherd. We're not. We are just sheep and we're stupid. We don't know what we're doing. We're so far in over our heads, it's ridiculous. But you know. You know all things. You know everything about us. You know our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our pressures, and you bid us to cast it all upon you because you care for us. Help us to live as though that is true because it is. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, we finished Daniel in the fall. Tonight, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. We are not going to do the entire book of John. I'd like you to turn to John 14. Although, I will say this to you. Over the next um, four, five, six weeks, we're not going to do just John 14. What we are going to do is John 14, verses 1 through 6. There is a section of Scripture that's right there that I think has uh, particular relevance to where we are right now in our lives. There's a talk show host, and... um, he has started using a phrase. And the first time I heard him use it, I was surprised. And I, I, you know, I don't think he has any malice. I just think he took the phrase. But he often uses it. He uses it all the time. In fact, usually every time I listen to him, he uses it within a period of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. He's going to use this phrase. And the phrase comes right out of John, John 14. And the phrase that he uses is, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on and he talks about who his next guest will be. And he talks about this primary and who's running here and what they're going to do here and they're going to do this and they're going to do this. And you see, um, when he says, let not your heart be troubled, those are the solutions that are offered. And I have to tell you this, when I hear those solutions my heart is still troubled. (laughs) It doesn't help me at all. I've lived long enough because everybody has their guy. Everybody has their, it's a free country. And we thank God that it's a free country. And we have the opportunity to vote and express ourselves. And so you vote for this guy and you vote for this guy. God bless you. I've lived long enough and you have too that when I vote for my guy and he gets in, you know what always happens? He doesn't do what I want him to do. So my heart gets troubled. So that's not the answer. And and you see, when when you say to people and they're concerned about what's going on in the affairs of the country and all this, and you say, let not your heart be troubled, I I think you got to be real careful about that. Because this is serious stuff.
John 14, Jesus is addressing his disciples. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why did he say that to them? Because their hearts were troubled. Their hearts were, uh, the idea of the word, uh, the word that's translated here, troubled, the, the, the word is let not your hearts be agitated. You ever throw something in the washer? You know, you're throwing some clothes in there, and then you walk back in the bedroom and you see a shirt you forgot, and you know, it's been going for 10 minutes, and you, you run back in there and you open up the lid, and uh, it's going like crazy. And you go ahead and throw the shirt in. What's going on? Well, you got that, that piece in the middle, and you got the soap, and it's foaming, and all that. What's happening? Those clothes are in there, and it's, it's agitating. It's agitating. You know what happens as we go through life? Sometimes we have trouble sleeping. Jesus said, let not your heart be agitated. Sometimes we go to bed, but we can't sleep. Sometimes we go to bed and we sleep, but we don't rest. Why not? Whether it's conscious or subconscious, we're agitated in our hearts. We're agitated in our, in our souls, in our gut. There's something wrong. Something's out of kilter, and it's out of our control, and we can't fix it. And we're men. And men fix things. But we all have things in our lives that we can't fix. So we get troubled and we get agitated. Sometimes in the Christian life, an event will happen. A circumstance, is, a circumstance will come that is absolutely unforeseen and it will absolutely blindside us. And we're doing pretty well, and you know, at the beginning of a new year, we've got our goals, and we've got our resolutions, and we've got our plans, and some of us, you know, go into more detail than others, but we're thinking about the new year, and what do I want to do here, and you know, financially, and family, and all this stuff, and health, and all this stuff, we got, and oftentimes those plans get interrupted. Uh, sometimes we're blindsided. And something hits us, and we absolutely never saw it coming. There are times in the Christian life, you see, where our hearts, and when we're saying the heart, the idea in Scripture here, the heart, is just not what shows up on an EKG. The heart is your, and the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about your, your soul. It's talking about your mind. It's talking about your will. It's talking about your personality. It's talking about you. It's talking about you. When I first saw Marion Barber run, I remember thinking, that guy puts his heart into it. Every play. Every play. I mean, the guy was insane. And you can only do that for so long uh, because of the pounding that you take and all this. But, but there was no question. If you, if you, the first time you saw that guy, you know what I'm talking about. He was just crazy. I mean, everything he had, he put his heart into it. Heart, soul, mind, will, emotions, everything. He was in it wasn't detached, wasn't resigned, wasn't, you see, when it says, let not your heart, it's talking about your guts. Let not your heart be agitated. But if the truth were known, and if we were just to take time and break up into small groups of five, six, seven, eight, and go around 
circle. Every guy in here has got something that's troubling him in his heart that's agitating him. That's where these uh, disciples, uh, that's, where they, that's where they were. Let, let me tell you where they were. They were agitated and they were troubled because of what the Lord had just told them. Not only were they troubled, not only were they agitated, but they were stunned, they were shocked, and they were surprised about their surroundings and about their circumstances. Let, let's read the text, uh, 14, 1 through 6. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to kind of camp out here over the next four, five, six, seven, eight weeks. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. I want to read the text because I want us to be familiar with it. But we're just going to take it in bite-sized pieces. He's just stunned them, and I'll explain this to you in a minute. He's just stunned them. He's just shocked them. He's just surprised them. They're agitated in their hearts. They're troubled by what he has said. And Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. For there's a primary coming up in November. That's in the Greek text. I don't know if you know that. Well, that's not what he said. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Watch this. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. See, one of the things that has agitated them and troubled them and concerned them is that if you look at verse 33 of the previous chapter, here's, here's really the crux of the matter. In, in 1333, Jesus says to these disciples, he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Well, hey, that's bad news. That's real bad news. Because Jesus hasn't been with them all that long. The earthly ministry of Jesus lasted about three years, give or take. Now, is that not strange? Here is the Son of God who comes to the earth to do the will of his Father. Jesus said, the work that you have given me to do, I have done. Interestingly enough, the work that God had for him to do on the earth, that earthly ministry, was only about three years. Now, let me tell you something. That's not how I do it. Is that how you do it? I'm going to send my son, the son of God, to the earth. Why would you do three years? Why don't you do 30? I mean, think of all the good that was accomplished in three years. Well, if all that good was done in three years, why don't you, why don't you just go ten times three? Did you notice that God doesn't do it the way we think he ought to do it? And let's say this, when Jesus came, and he came into their lives, it changed everything. Everything. Do you read through the Gospels? You know, when I read through the Gospels, I'm very grateful that I've had the privilege of going to Israel. Because when I read through the Gospel, and here is the, here's the benefit of taking a trip to Israel, is that when you read your Bible, and it says that Jesus went to Capernaum, You've been to Capernaum. You know what it looks like. You know how it's situated right there at the bottom of those hills 
right there. There's a beach, Sea of Galilee, north side. No In-N-Out burger. It's Israel. So when you're reading this, you go, oh yeah, Capernaum. And you can see it. You can picture it. Jesus was there. He took him up, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Took him right up the hill there. Sermon on the mountain. Sermon on the hill. Right there. And when Jesus came and when Jesus called these guys, things began to happen. Unbelievable things began. People's lives were changed. People's sins were forgiven. Uh, the man with the withered hand, Jesus said to him, stretch forth thy hand. Now, you know what's interesting about that? A guy with a withered hand can't stretch forth his hand. His hand doesn't work. But the guy, boom. There's a man blind from birth. Healed. The garrison demoniac. Tormented, tormented, living in the caves. When I was in high school, we took a, a field trip. And I, I was thinking about this today, and I don't even know why we took the field trip. I don't know what class it was associated with. But we went to the State Mental Hospital in Santa Clara, California. Now, there weren't a lot of us, and maybe they were trying to scare us. I, I, I don't know, some of us that were difficult. But we went to the state mental hospital and spent an afternoon there. There was a section that they told us before we got there, you will not be able to go into. And someone made a mistake, and we walked in there. And I saw some people I've never forgotten. You, you talk about heartbreaking the behaviors they were demonstrating. I remember looking into the eyes of a couple of them, and you know what I saw? I saw absolute torment. Torment. Some of those people were demon-possessed. Now, that's probably not real popular these days. But demons can still possess people that don't know Christ. When Jesus showed, I'll tell you what, if Jesus showed up at that sanitarium in Santa Clara, you know what happened? They would instantly be in their right mind and healed. This happened all the time. They're bringing them, they're bringing these people from every, and every time Jesus goes into a village, every time he goes, some people are being healed. It's unbelievable. They'd never seen anything like that. Do you want that to end? Do you want that to come? No. Should that go three years? This ought to keep going and going and going. And here, what does Jesus say? Little children, I'm with you just a little while longer. By the way, where I'm going, you cannot come. What? He had told them some other things in this immediate context. Uh, Edwin Bloom writes these words. Speaking of the disciples in John 14, the disciples were completely bewildered and discouraged. Jesus had said he was going away. It's 1333. He had told them in 1232 that he would die. He had told them that one of the 12 was a traitor. That's also in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 21. He had told them that Peter would disown him three times, 1338. 
He had told them in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, that Satan was at work against all of them. And he had told them in Matthew 26, 31, that all of the disciples would fall away. That all has to do with the circumstances around John 14, 1, where Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. It's interesting to me that in Matthew 26, 31, not only was Peter going to deny him, but they were all going to fall away. In other words, they were all going to fail. All of them. Sometimes as Christian men, we get on ourselves because we fail. We kick ourselves. We say to ourselves, why did I do this? Why did I say this? Why did I make that decision? Because, you see, we make a decision, we pray, we ask God to lead us, we ask him to direct us, and we go ahead and we find ourselves in a certain situation, and then we're there, and it falls apart. And we start kicking ourselves, and, you know, oh, I, thought, I thought God was leading me. Can I offer something to you? He was leading you. But just because he leads you doesn't mean it's going to be pain-free. Usually if he leads you into a situation, it's just an opportunity to walk by faith, just different circumstances. You never stop living by faith when you're on this earth. Um, I've said this many times. There is a place called heaven. This isn't it. This is the training ground for heaven. This is where we are in God's gymnasium. So does he lead us? Does he direct us? Does he move us? Does uh, the, we get a job here and we decide, oh, we're not going to take this and oh, we're going to stay here or we're going to take this or whatever. Life changes. Life is full of chapters. Life is full of transitions. And sometimes when it doesn't work exactly the way we thought it was going to work, because whenever we walk into a new situation, we always have expectations. But I will tell you up front, and you know this in your heart, when you walk into a new situation, are there going to be tests of faith? Yes, because we walk by faith, and we live from faith to faith. These guys were in a situation where they're stunned, they're shocked, they're surprised, because, and the main reason is, Jesus is going to leave. They don't want him to leave. He's the Messiah. They're figuring that out. He might change the political system, they're thinking. If he changes the political system, everything's going to be fixed. He didn't change the political system, because political systems don't fix things. Only the kingdom of God fixes things. Because the real issue is not here or here, it's here. You see, doesn't mean those things, we, we, we don't register our voices and our concerns, but that's not the ultimate place where life is lived. It's deeper. There's something else going on. Uh, what Jesus has done with these guys, he has absolutely rocked their world. Stunned, shocked, surprised. You ever been there? You ever been disappointed with God? Sure you have. But see, we're not supposed to say that we are. But you are. Well, why aren't you supposed to say that you're not disappointed with God? Well, because you're a good Christian guy. Well, why don't you just tell him you're disappointed? Don't you think he knows? <laughs> he understands you. Hey, you're disappointed. He knows you're disappointed. Can't you tell when your kids, your little kids are disappointed? Sure. Well, we're, we're his little kids. He knows us. Uh, he understands our thought from afar. He, he knows when we're troubled. He knows when we're anxious. See, sometimes we're disappointed by what's happened. We thought it was going to be different. We've prayed. We've asked God to intercede. We've asked God to do a work. And 
and he doesn't. And so what happens? In our hearts, we get agitated. We're like that washer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're calm, you're in bed, the lights are out, but your heart, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're troubled. Uh, I think there are four broad reasons that we get troubled. Let me give them to you. The first one is this. We get troubled and we get agitated because of the condition of the world. We look around at our world and it's in bad shape. I was talking to a young man this week in his mid-twenties, pretty sharp, following the Lord, learning his Bible. He told me he was fighting off depression. I said, what... Is it, I said, what, what is it that you're fighting? I said, is it something specific? He goes, yeah. He said, I'm fighting. It's just, the shape the, it's just the shape the world is in. The evil, the suffering, the corruption. It's just, uh, it's hideous. He said, it just depresses me. And this goes along with the second broad stroke the first one is the condition of the world. The second one that troubles us and agitates us is the direction of the world. The direction that the world is going. Hey guys, let me give you some good news. Things are getting better. No, they're not. No, they're not. You read your Bible? And the Bible, does the Bible tell us things are going to get better and better before Christ comes? No. So why do we expect them to get better and better before he comes? Why do we expect the world, and some people do, some people expect the world's going to get better and better. Some of you, you're familiar with Rupert Murdoch, the big media mogul. Owns the Wall Street Journal now, and owns, you know, all these different networks. This guy's unbelievable. Australia, United Kingdom, America, the Rupert Murdoch of the first 50 years of the 20th century was a guy named Henry Luce. Started uh, Life magazine, started Time magazine. I got a biography I'm reading on him right now. He grew up in China. His father was a Presbyterian missionary and pastor. Um, his father's work was supported by the wife of Cyrus McCormick. Remember McCormick? Very wealthy inventor in Chicago. He died. Um, his father was a liberal Presbyterian. Did not believe everything in the Bible. Uh, through Mrs. McCormick was introduced to uh, the Rockefeller family. And so Henry Luce, as a young missionary uh, kid, came to the United States, went to the very best schools. He was smart, he was sharp, he was brilliant. Um, interesting guy. Very interesting guy, very gifted guy, a, a great intellect. Uh, he took his magazines and he believed that he could structure the opinion of a nation and he pretty much did it. And he had what some would call a Christian worldview but in a sense, he really thought things could get better and better. A lot of people did in the 19, 
teens. The world's going to get better and better. And then World War I broke out. And then it wasn't too long after that that World War II broke out. And then World War II was over, and just a few years after that, we're sending guys off to Korea. And then it wasn't too long after that, we're sending guys to Vietnam. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? In the end days, in the last days, there are going to be wars and what? Rumors of wars. He also talked about earthquakes. And you go look at the websites about earthquakes, they're increasing, just like Jesus said. But see, we look at this stuff, and if we just look at it, if we just look at the condition of the world, if we just look at the direction of the world, we, and so when we look at the direction of the world, we're, we're, we're looking at all this stuff, and it's not looking real good. Not, not only is there an economic downturn in this country, it's all over the world. And you think about this, and you think about that, well, then that means this, and this means that, and there's repercussions, and there's consequences. If, if this economy is, is not going to be turned around, what does that mean? What about jobs going over this country and all, all this stuff? Price of oil, you know, gas, all this stuff. I got a deal from somebody who says the economy is so bad. This will encourage you. <laughs> the economy is so bad that I got a pre-declined credit card in the mail. This is the condition of the world, and it's the direction of the world. The economy is so bad that the CEOs are now playing miniature golf. You didn't get that? I like that. I thought that was pretty good. The economy is so bad that Hot Wheels and Matchbox stocks are trading higher than GM. McDonald's is selling the quarter-ouncer. Economy so bad that a truckload of Americans were caught sneaking into Mexico. <laughs> this is the condition and the direction of the world. The economy is so bad that Motel 6 won't leave the light on anymore. Economy so bad the mafia, they're laying off judges. All right, so the first two, first two broad strokes, why are we troubled, why are we agitated? And in some way, shape, or form, when you're troubled, when you're agitated, you might be able to fit it in under those headings. The, the condition of the world, Iran, Israel, Afghanistan, Pakistan, we got, uh, uh, we got shoe bombers, we got underwear bombers, we got, uh, it's, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts, is it not? Condition of the world, the direction of the world. Let me give you the third one. Here we go. The condition of your world. We get agitated and we get uh, troubled. Not just the world, but the condition of my world, your world. Number four, we get troubled, we get agitated because of the direction of your world. See, it is true, I think there are times we get disappointed with God. I find it interesting that in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your heart be agitated. Now, what you're going to see in this passage in John 14 is you're going to see him give some answers. You're going to see him give some responses. You're going to see him give some steps 
when we find ourselves with a heart that is troubled and that is agitated. And here's what Jesus says. The first thing he says is, let not your heart be troubled. Watch this. Believe in God. Then he says, believe also in me. All right, let's stop right there. What if this God that he exhorts us to believe in, what if this God has disappointed you? Now what do you do? What if this God has been unfair to you? What if this God has not dealt you a good hand? Why would you believe in God? This is where we have to be very, very careful as Christian men. Uh, flip over, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. When we, uh, I, I want to say this to you, and I say it carefully, but I say it. See, we have our plans, we have our dreams, we, uh, we have our 90-day goals, we have our long-term goals for our businesses, for our families, for, you know, all this, okay. And we pray and we ask God to bless us. And then sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we thought it was going to work. In Matthew 7, verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Uh, it, it's the concept of seeking after the Lord, pursuing the Lord. Now watch this. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And you're saying exactly, I've done that, and it hasn't happened. All right, well, let's just keep reading. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Now watch this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You say, but Steve, I have prayed, I have sought the Lord, I have asked him to give me this but he hasn't given it to me. All right, think through the passage. If you've asked him to give it and he hasn't given it, it's because it's not good for you right now. You remember Joseph thrown in the prison, unjustly accused? God promotes him. Before long, he's running the prison as he was running Potiphar's household. And shortly thereafter, two associates of Pharaoh are thrown into the prison with him. And on the same night, they both have dreams. He interprets the dream. He says to this guy, you're going to live. You're going to die. Three days later, it happens. And as that cupbearer goes back to work for Pharaoh, who is released and set free, just as Joseph had interpreted the dream, Joseph says to him, don't forget me. Oh, and what did the guy do? He forgot him. And Joseph was, had to be deeply disappointed. Because, you see, Joseph thought that that guy was his ticket out of there. 
Now, you know what's interesting about that? That guy was his ticket out of there. Because two years later, Pharaoh was going to have a dream. And he was going to wake up and, you know, he was going to have the seven fat cows, lean cows, and then goes back to sleep and, you know, takes a few pills. And then he does the seven full stalks and the seven withered stalks. He wakes up, gets all his guys together. Oh, and that guy that had been in jail with Joseph, at that moment, suddenly he remembers Joseph because God made him remember Joseph, and he was Joseph's ticket out of there. But Joseph thought it would be two years earlier. Is it perhaps the situation that what you've prayed for and what you've asked for, well, see, we can say this. If he hasn't given it to you, it's because it's not the best thing for you right now. It doesn't mean it won't come. It just means right now, it's not the best. He knows you like a book. He knows what you need. He, he knows where you need to create muscle. He knows where you need to create faith. He knows where you need to become more steady in the word of God and not knocked over by these different winds of doctrine. He, he knows when you need to be more secure in the love of God, even though you screw up. We all screw up. We screw up all the time. I got a tattoo over Christmas. It says I'm a screw up right here on my arm. <laughs> I didn't do that. I'm just trying to get your attention. <sighs> Prove it. <laughs> there. It's not there. Uh, we're all screw-ups. When we screw up, does that mean that the love of God is ended? That's it? God says enough? Oh, no. gosh, I can't believe That's it. You're done. No. Read Romans 5. The love of God has been poured out in our heart. The love of God is like Niagara Falls. Just keeps coming. Just keeps coming. Oh, yeah, but I screwed up. Okay, you screwed up. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. You say, well, that's hard for me to understand because when I would screw up, my dad would get all over me and he'd berate me and he'd tell me I was an idiot and, you know, and my dad actually made me leave the house. And, you know, okay, but your dad isn't God, is he? Your dad was a flawed man with issues in his own life. But we're talking about the great God who is your father. We get troubled, we get agitated. Uh, sometimes we get troubled and agitated because we haven't seen the answer, and, we th and, and here's what happens. We get discouraged, and we think an answer will never come. Some of you guys are in bad marriages. And, and it's, just, it's just hell. And, and you don't see eye to eye, and you don't get along, and you just don't see, and you've been to counseling, and you just, this is never going to change. It's never going to change. It's never going to change. Well, Jesus is the great physician. See, if you leave, he can't fix it. So you stay. And you trust. You trust. You stay faithful. You don't bolt. You stay at your post. And you trust in him. Well, he hasn't answered my prayer. This has going on for 20, 25, 30 years. Yeah. Okay. What does Jesus say? Let not your heart be agitated. Watch this. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, he's the God that can instantaneously heal. He can heal hearts. He can heal divisions. See, but it hasn't happened yet. That's right. 
Oh, and can I say this to you? It may not happen on this earth. So then you go ahead and leave. No. You go ahead and fulfill your vows and you be a faithful man. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Didn't you say you'd be there for better or worse? Yeah, but I think I'm going to leave. Why? Well, it's worse. Well, you said better or worse. What was that? Just, uh, you know, an accoutrement like the wedding cake? The guy in the wedding cake? Was that just a show? Was that, what was that? I'm not saying, guys, it's easy. You, you know what's interesting to me is that in John 13, you know why these guys were troubled why they were in anguish? Because Jesus, he shot straight with them. You know, we live in this interesting age in America. And I, I, I'm, it's easy for me to get off on these guys. But there's such a false gospel on television. In so many cases, these guys that are teaching this false doctrine, this prosperity gospel, if you're walking with Christ, you know, and you sow your seed into my ministry, and here's the address on the bottom of your screen, I'm looking for 200 people to sow a $1,000 seed into my ministry. I mean, the guy's going to go buy a new toupee or something. I mean, who knows what he's going to do with it? Oh, he wants you well. He, he always wants you well. It's a, you know, he doesn't want you sick. He doesn't. You know what? That is such a bunch of dung, <laughs> biblically. Jesus shoots straight. Jesus said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. He told these guys in John 13, hey, guys, you know what? You're, you're going to fail. Peter, you're going to screw up three times for that cockroach. You're, 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 that's what you're going to do, man. And you're all going to fail. You're all going to deny me. One of you is a traitor. And then what's the next thing he says to him? Don't let your heart be troubled. He's going to go to the cross and die for failure. That's us. That's you. That's me. We screw up. How many times have I, have I quoted John Newton? What a great line from John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. All the time he would say, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Is that not true? Yes, he is. So when Jesus says this, guys, he says, let not your heart be troubled, let not your heart be agitated. Are we going to have rough things come? Are we going to have hard things facing us? Yeah. Yeah, you are. You're in them now, and guess what? You're going to have more. I'm just being honest with you. He'll give you a break. Sometimes we pass through a season, and, and we have a season of, of, of blessing and favor and of peace. Thank God for those times. We're not always afflicted, but enjoy it. But don't get too comfortable, because you know what? Another season of affliction is going to come. Is that not true? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, I've been through quite a few. Yeah, but he's got more for you. How's that for shooting straight? That's the word of God. Not through some tribulations, through many. I know three pastors that since Thanksgiving, one of them's 35, one of them's 50, and one of them's 70. 
Since Thanksgiving, they've all found out that they have malignant cancer. They're all being used by the Lord. Matt Chandler over at the Village Church. What's Matt, 34, 35? Got all these young people coming over there. Guy teaches the word. You got five, six thousand. You go over there, mostly young people, because they relate to this guy. And he teaches the word. He's got three little kids, I think under what? Under five, Jeff? Six, something like that? A little eight, nine month old baby? Thanksgiving morning, looking family, looking forward to everything. Has a seizure. They take him in. A couple days later, he finds out he's got a tumor, malignant. Oh, and they were just moving into the next, to their new building that next week. Now, do you think Matt's going to grow, and do you think that church is going to mature? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we mature through adversity. When your heart is troubled and your heart is agitated, and Lou, I need some help because I have no idea where I am time-wise. Okay, I have 15 hours left. That's good. (laughs) I can cover this in 15 hours. All right, when your heart is agitated and troubled, and and we got guys in here with all kinds of different issues, all kinds of issues. How do you find, when your heart is agitated in peace, how do you find peace? How do you find rest? How do you get a, um, he, he said, not, let not your hearts be troubled, agitated. How do you get a heart that is calm when your circumstances haven't changed? Well, let me throw this out to you. Here's how you do it. You live like a Christian instead of a Buddhist. That's how you do it. Now, I'm not one to comment on politics. <laughs> but recently, Britt Hume, Christian guy, made a statement. You know all about this. Talking about Tiger Woods. And he said, I would hope that Tiger would become a Christian instead of a Buddhist. And my gosh. What happened to all the tolerance? There's tolerance for every view except the true view. And why did he say that? Because he hurts for the guy. The guy's life is in shambles. Just absolute shambles. What does he need? He needs Christianity. He needs Christ. He needs a savior. Why would Hume say that he needs Christianity instead of Buddhism? And I'll tell you something. This was brilliant. Hume, I mean, he put his finger right on it. Christianity is a thinking man's game. And in Eastern religion, you don't think. It's really true. Christianity is not, I shouldn't say game. Christianity is a thinking man's battle. Christianity is based on on truth. Christianity is based on facts that are either true or they're not true. I've been reading a book by Rodney Stark called The Victory of Reason. Reason. 
how Christianity led to freedom, capitalism, and Western success. He talks about the success of Europe and the United States of America. He goes all the way back uh, to the period commencing with the fall of the Roman Empire, which is commonly called by historians the Dark Ages, and he proves that they weren't Dark Ages at all because the oppression of the state of Rome was broken and the bureaucracy was broken and people were free and in Christian communities there was the opportunity to use one's gifts and improve one's lot according to the gifts that God had given and all kinds of advancements that were made that made Europe at that period of time far superior in terms of commerce, in terms of science, in terms of that's what the whole book's about. And it all had to do with reason, with thinking. What do the scriptures say? Come, let us reason together. Christianity is all about thinking. All about thinking. When I was in college, I remember on one afternoon, I, was, I, I, I had a break, like a two-hour break between classes. I got over to my class about 15 minutes early, and the building that I was going into, the Hari Krishnas were out front. And in the 60s in Southern California, there were a lot of Hari Krishna groups around. And they would just, these guys were incredible because they had their orange, you know, robes on and they had their drums. And for hours and hours and hours and hours, they would just repeat the same thing over Hari, Hari, Rama, Rama. Just over and over and over and over and over and over. I mean, they never stopped. And I'm waiting to go into the class, and there's a group of them out there. But they always have one person, usually the newest convert, who wasn't quite into all the, you know, they hadn't memorized all the stuff yet. And this one girl, probably about 19, she had the thing on, but she hadn't memorized all the songs yet. And she was handing out flyers. And she sort of, she's handing out flyers. She was she's trying to remember. But she was kind of new. I could tell she was new. And she handed me this flyer, which talked about their meeting that night. And then she says, Hari, Hari, I hope you can come. And I looked at her and I said, why? Hari, Hari, Rama, Rama. Hari, Hari, Rama, Rama. Hari, Hari. It freaked her out. Because you see, she was taught that she shouldn't talk and she shouldn't reason. Uh, Stark will explain it. In the victory of reason, Stark advances a revolutionary controversy on long overdue idea that Christianity and its related institutions are, in fact, directly responsible for the most significant intellectual, political, scientific, and economic breakthroughs of the past millennium. In Stark's view, what has propelled the West is not the tension between secular and non-secular society, nor the pitting of science and the humanities against religious belief. And if you go back and read this, you find that all of the early great scientists were Christians. They believed in God. In fact, Stark says in the book that prior to the Roman, uh, to the... Um, French Revolution, you couldn't find 10 or 12 atheists in all of Europe. It didn't exist. It was nonsense. It was nonsense. Now, you can't be on a faculty of a university unless you're an atheist. And I'm extreme and I'm exaggerating, but I'm close. Christian theology, Stark asserts, is the very font of reason. While the world's other great belief systems emphasize, watch this, mystery. Buddhism 
emphasizes mystery. While the world's other great belief systems emphasize mystery, obedience, or introspection, Christianity alone embraced logic and deductive thinking as path towards enlightenment, freedom, and progress. So when your soul is agitated, what did Jesus say? Believe in God. Believe in me. I am the son of God. I created this world. I own this world. I'm in charge of this world. Yes, I'm going away, but I'm going away for a reason. Where I'm going, you can't come, but one day you will. I'm coming back. I'm going to go prepare a house, but I'm coming back. That's either true or it isn't. Right? It's not an introspective, well, I think in my... It's true or it isn't. If it's not true, we're screwed. <laughs> to use the Greek term. Right? No introspection. It's no deeper metaphysical. It's either true or it isn't but you see you got to use logic you got to think is your heart troubled believe in God what do you mean believe in God think about him so next week we're going to talk about who our God is what do you mean believe in God it's interesting because the preposition in the original literally is believe into God how do you believe into God by thinking about who he is how do you fight off agitation and worry and anxiety by thinking about the truth about God the Father that's how you do it. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, why do we keep studying this book? Gosh, some of you guys have been studying this book for 60 years. Why do you keep doing it? He said, if you continue, you don't go 60 and quit. You're studying this book until the day you can't breathe. You study the book until you can't read. But because you put it in your heart, even though you can't read and you can't see, you can still think. Right? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? That's why Tiger Woods needs to come to Christ. Or anybody. That's the difference. He makes a great statement here. He says in Taoism, in Confucianism, in Buddhism... There are no theologians. Do you know why? Because there's no reason. There's no truth. It's whatever you think it is. Christianity is a thinking man's battle. I had 15 minutes, I have 14 left. Real quick. I want to show you how this works. Let me give you an example. Flip over to 2 Chronicles 20. Real quick. I want to show you a man of God who's agitated. I want to show you a man of God who's troubled. Many of us in here are troubled. We're agitated because we're in situations. Watch this. We're in situations that are absolutely overwhelming. They are so big. They are so complex. Everything we have is tied up. And as we look at things as we stand right now, we don't see any solution. We don't see any way out. I want to tell you something. That's the story of the Bible. God takes godly men and puts them in situations of crisis and of pressure where there is absolutely no escape and no way out. And to those men, he says, let not your heart 
be troubled. Let not your heart be agitated. Believe in God. Now watch Jehoshaphat. Where are we going? 2 Chronicles 20. Here's the context. He's in Jerusalem. They got a great, massive army coming against him. He's just heard the news. The reason I can't, it's not in, it's not in 1 Chronicles 20. It's in 2 Chronicles 20. Funny how that works. Now, it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude. Now, you know, we can just fly by that. It doesn't mean anything to us. A great multitude. What are they outnumbered? Five to one? Eight to one? Ten to one? I don't know, but it's a great multitude. Great multitudes coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. They're down at Engedi. Engedi. Engedi, you've been there. It's where David hid from Saul in the caves. Got all these waterfalls. Beautiful. But I'm telling you, an army from Engedi to Jerusalem could march there in 24 hours. Easy. So he, everything's calm, everything's good. He's a godly man, he's following the Lord. And suddenly he gets this FedEx saying, hey, look, these guys are down there, they're in Getty. And I'm going to tell you something, it's over. It's done. He's got no defense. He's got no escape. He's got no way out. Do you think he was agitated? Do you think he was troubled? Verse 5. Actually, verse 4. Actually, verse 3. Why don't I just read it all? Jehoshaphat was afraid. Of course he was. He's dealing with reality. Uh, Jehoshaphat wasn't a Christian scientist. Christian science, a lot of well-meaning people have been sucked into it. You got leukemia? They say, you don't have leukemia. It doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination. Well, people have died from figment of their imaginations. You don't deny reality. You embrace reality. You got leukemia? Yeah, I got leukemia. Jesus is the great physician. He's either going to heal me here or he's going to heal me in heaven. But I got leukemia. I got it. Just the way it works here. I'm not closing off my mind here. He was afraid. Sure he'd be afraid. And he turned his attention, watch this, to seek the Lord. There's the key. When you're troubled, when you're agitated, when you're afraid, you, you turn your attention to the Lord. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? There's your breakthrough. There's your key. proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, watch this guy pray. Watch this. Watch him believe in God. Watch him think. Watch his theology. Watch what he says. He says, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Yes. Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Yes. Power and might are in your hand, not in their hands, your hands. So that no one can stand against you. 
He's thinking. He's thinking. He's beating off fear and worry and agitation by thinking about what's true about God. Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? He's mentioning the covenant. He goes on, and he says in verse 12, O God, will you not judge them? Watch this. Watch this. This is where some of you guys are. We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And then here's what the Lord says to him in verse 15. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. That's true for every guy in this room tonight. And I'm going to tell you something. The greatest and most secure place in all the world is for you to be defenseless and to let God fight for you. Uh, Eric Liddell, Chariots of Fire. Great story, great Olympic runner, wouldn't violate his conscience. Wound up uh, as a missionary to China, wound up in a prison camp, Japanese prison camp. Took away their Bibles, but as he would minister to the prisoners, he had memorized scripture and he would give them scripture and quote scripture. He would also quote to them and teach them his favorite hymn. And his favorite hymn was, Be Still My Soul. Listen to the words. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and to provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. And it goes on. But it is facts about God and it is facts about Christ. And when you ponder the facts, it takes an agitated heart, it takes a troubled heart, and it stills it as he stilled the waves on the Sea of Galilee. He's a great Savior. And you're going to make it. So we praise you, our Father, that you are there and that you are real and that you are available. 
still hearts right now. For the men who are at unease because they have never come to know you. They've never said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. I believe you went to the cross and died for my sin. I believe you're God. I believe you're the Master. I believe you're the Lord. I believe that you are who you said you were. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the dead. Would you come into my life and save me and give me new life? We cannot live without you. But because we have you, we will live forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.